Hi, welcome to the Parenting Reframe Podcast. I am Elbiona Rakipi, your host. I'm a former teacher, a parent, currently a pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm a writer. I've worked with thousands of children and families throughout the last 20 years, and I have learned so much. On this podcast, we'll approach parenting from a curious place. We'll ask questions and get answers, explore new ideas, unpack the unconscious beliefs and expectations we hold on to about parenting, and reframe what it means to parent. We'll search for solutions to some of our biggest parenting challenges, set aside judgments, and find our way through this wild journey. My hope is that this podcast is a space where parents can feel seen, heard, and supported. Welcome aboard, and let's reframe together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Parenting Reframe Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about the five things I would never do as a parenting coach. So I was asked by Metro Parent in Detroit to write an article about this. This happens to be a trend on TikTok, and you have experts from different fields who basically start their TikTok video. I keep wanting to say like TikTok, um, basically saying that here are the five things I would never do as a cardiologist. Here are the five things I would never do as a hairstylist. Here are the five things I would never do as a makeup artist. And so basically, they just plug in the five things they would never do. So I think it was a pretty fun trend. And uh, Metro Parent reached out to me and said, hey, what do you think about writing an article with sort of that same theme? And you would talk about the five things you wouldn't do as a parenting coach. So I love the idea. And I said, sure. So the article is in the November, December issue in the print and digital issue of Metro Parent. If you are interested, I will link it into the show notes if you would like to grab a copy. But here we go. I'm going to list the five and hopefully you might resonate with some and maybe not with others, but I'd love to hear from you after the episode. So number one, I would never force my kids to apologize as a consequence of their behavior. This one I've mentioned before. So if you've been with me for a while, you know, I never like the idea of making the kids say sorry as a way of trying to teach them that what they did was wrong. So an example that I always give around this is like hitting is a big one where it happens. So let's say your child pushes another child. There is a lot of shame for parents of kids who are hitters. And what ends up happening is that shame takes over. You feel so embarrassed. You can't stand that your child just did that. So you you kind of go over and you insist they apologize and you kind of explain all the wrong things about hitting, why you shouldn't hit, this whole thing. And your child doesn't want to say sorry. You're forcing them to say sorry. Then you start to take things away if they don't say sorry. And then the child begrudgingly goes over and says sorry. They don't mean it. And they just do it because you've threatened to take everything else away for the rest of the week. So the problem with this is pretty straightforward. One is we're just not teaching kids the importance or the value of what it means to apologize. It's also from a developmental standpoint, kids don't develop empathy until about five, maybe even six years old. So while you do have some children who can maybe be a little more aware of how another is feeling, it is really age appropriate for a preschool age child to be what we describe as egocentric. And that just means they are very concerned about themselves first and foremost, and they might have some concern about others when it comes to what they want or when it comes down to what they want. They are going to be driven and motivated by what serves them. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that you have raised a bad child who is selfish. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that your child might struggle with impulsivity. They might struggle with aggressive behaviors. That doesn't mean that you are a parent who raises an aggressive child and that means you're aggressive and that you didn't parent well. But it just means that your child needs some boundaries set with love. But apologizing isn't the way that's, it's not going to correct it. Meaning I've seen parents do this over and over. And so the child apologizes. They say, okay, and everybody kind of goes back to what they were doing. 
If given the opportunity, again, your child will hit because the sorry piece of it isn't going to address why your child's hitting in the first place. So that's the other reason why I don't love forcing an apology as a consequence. So a lot of times what this might look like is the second time around your child hits. And so what ends up happening is you're starting now to walk over to give a consequence and then the child basically just says sorry really quickly to the other child and hopes that the fix it word is going to do the trick and that you'll go back to talking to the other mom and they won't get in trouble. So just be aware of that. It seems it's more about you, the parent, and how you feel about the behavior your child is engaging in, much more so than teaching your child the value of saying sorry. There is value in it and we want to teach kids how to apologize. It just shouldn't be the fix it word when a behavior is demonstrated that you don't want. You have to address that differently. Okay, number two, I would never feel afraid of making mistakes as a parent. I talk to so many parents. If there is one thing I wish I could tell every single parent, even if you're not working with me, if you don't read my articles, if you don't even know of me, and this is the first time you're listening to me, I would like every parent to just take a big collective sigh and to release themselves and free themselves from the pressure of getting it right every single time. I was recently talking to a mom and I promise you she was fighting back tears because she lost her cool and yelled at her child that day. Now I know, I know we don't love when this happens, but it happens to everybody. I promise you, think of the 80-20% rule here that we apply to the way we eat, to lifestyle, wellness, things like that. If 80% of the time you have a loving, supportive household where your child is given attention and love and structure and safety and security and you're there for them and you're present. If 20% of the time things go wrong and you do things that are quote unquote wrong, like yelling, snapping, losing your cool, maybe you're checked out one day, I promise you your kids are going to be fine. Kids are far more resilient than we give them credit for. Also, when you have moments when you make a mistake as a parent, that's okay. It's a really great opportunity to teach repair. We don't spend enough time teaching repair. We don't spend enough time showing our kids the process of what it's like to sort of fall on our faces, for lack of a better word, and get back up and kind of try again or to make something wrong right. Like that's a really valuable lesson. There's nothing wrong with you saying to your child, hey, I should not have spoken to you that way. I should not have raised my voice. But what I was trying to communicate was this. It's not okay to do. It doesn't mean you abandon the correction that was trying to take place. You're really apologizing for the way you handled it, the way you spoke to them. Those are two separate things. But again, just take that pressure off of yourself. You will make mistakes. It's impossible. You cannot go through parenting unscathed. So think of the 80-20 rule. Think of the bigger picture. In general, are you there? Are you doing all the good things? You know, and if you are, don't sweat the rest. You're going to spend a lot of time feeling consumed by guilt, feeling bad. And what does that do to your energy? It totally drains you. And guess what? Your kids feel that and see that. And you have a hard time showing up at the next moment, at the next moment, because you're still stuck in that past mistake. Show them how to repair, keep moving and give yourself grace. Number three, I would never save my kids from a challenge or a struggle. So this comes up a lot, and I always think this is one of those things that all parents, when I say it, nod their heads in agreement. Like, yep, I would not, Mike, I let my kid go through it. I promise you almost all parents, and I'm raising my hand here too, when given the chance to prevent a struggle, we do. We do. It's human nature. We cannot help it. We don't want them to go through something hard, but we have to. 
So a lot of times, I've said this before too, but confidence is only gained through competence. You have to let them go through the struggle. You have to let them work through a challenge. I'll give you a really simple example in this. So as a speech therapist by day, um, a lot of times the kiddos that we work with, well, it might get speech therapy and occupational therapy. Some cases, ABA therapy, just depends on what the kiddo needs. So in some cases, the parent might say to us, is there any way we can make sure that one therapy comes after the other because they struggle to leave that one therapy? You know, they're having so much fun, they don't want to leave. And it's interesting to me, and that's a lot of what I'm talking about. I promise you the child will learn how to get through that transition. They will learn that there is an end to that type of therapy and another one awaits and that they get to go to that next one and that one also will be fun and that the next time they get to come back, they'll get to experience both of those. And with time and with us giving them the space to work through that, that will generalize to other aspects of their life, right? Because let's say they love occupational therapy and they don't want to leave the gym or they don't want to finish their occupational therapy session and then they have to move on to their next therapy. Sure, you might see a little bit of struggle. That's okay. That's okay. What they're learning in that process is like, oh my gosh, I don't want to end this. This is so fun but hey, I did it last time and it wasn't so bad because I got to come back and I still get to come back. And actually when I went into speech, I had a lot of fun when I was there too. And then when I went home, I had a lot of fun doing this and this. You want them to do what I call experience stacking. You want them to start gaining the sense that even though it doesn't feel good in that moment, I can work through it. I can get through it. The only way that happens is if we give them space to do so. Otherwise, They don't. They're saved from it every time, and they're never given the tools to work through it in the future. And then what ends up happening is we see kids who are honestly five, six, or seven having really huge meltdowns. In general, from just an emotional maturity standpoint, kids shouldn't be having day-to-day tantrums when they're five and six and seven years old. They just shouldn't. They should have better coping skills. And if they don't, that's okay. We just want to help them. We want to get in there and help them. We don't want older kids to be having these huge tantrums because they should have had the opportunity to have gone through the processes needed to gain those coping skills so that they know they're okay. They know they can handle it and they can really work through whatever challenges in front of them. And this is ongoing, right? Because as kids progress, and get older, those challenges change, new challenges present themselves. So we always have to stay cognizant of this. Myself, even as a parent of a teenager and a young adult, there are multiple times I want to step in and stop something from happening because I know it's going to be so hard for them. But I stop myself because they have to go through it. So it never ends. That's the the bottom line here is like those challenges and those struggles are going to present themselves all the time. Really give them the space to go through it, but be there for them and guide them and love them through it. But I promise you will be doing them a huge, huge favor. Number four, I would never try to control the outcome. So this is a lot about what I've mentioned in terms of process over product, right? This is the idea of letting a process unfold as it's meant to. Try not to stay completely attached to one outcome. I see this a lot, particularly with older kids, when we start to reach ages around college and what college are they going to go to and what type of a job are they going to have? What private school are they going to get into? You know, those types of things. We don't want to stay married to one outcome. You're only going to set yourself up to feel disappointed. Let that process unfold and let them be who they're meant to be. Really follow their lead as much as you can. When we stay attached to one outcome, let's say it's 
sticking in the realm of academics. Let's say it's that your child's going to be a straight A student. There might be reasons why your child can't be a straight A student. Maybe they don't love the structure of school. Maybe they're not academically inclined to sort of sit in a really structured setting all day long. Does it mean they're not smart? They might not just adhere to the way it's done in their own school. You know, you want to make yourself aware of what those attachments are for you and really kind of call those into question and really look at it and ask yourself, like, is that really helping here? Is that, you know, is that the only way someone can succeed in life is if they do this route, right? We don't want to put blinders on. We want to allow that process to unfold. In a more simpler way of understanding this idea of process over product, I go back to this story that was shared with me when I was in my bachelor's program at Michigan. And I was, I can't remember my professor's name, but she was wonderful. And she was telling this story about a mom and her son, and he was five years old or maybe six at the time, and he was helping her set the table. And I love this story, and I'm going to share it right now. And I want you to think about what you would do if you were the parent. Okay, so the mom and the son, family of five, she's having him set the table, and he walks over and he starts to grab one plate at a time, and he walks back to the dining room table. He walks back to the cabinet, gets another plate, walks back to the dining room table. And he does this for every single part of the the table setting scape. So like all the utensils, the cups, the plates, the napkins, he does everything one at a time. So it takes him a really long time. So the mom gets ready to kind of say, oh, hey, you can just grab five plates and walk all five plates over to the table and then divvy them up there. Or you can take a handful of forks and walk them over to the table, or you can put the glasses on a tray and walk them over. And she stops herself. And she stops herself and she lets him have his process. And so he walks over and he takes each one. It takes him like 20 minutes to set the table. And I already know, by the way, like as I'm even telling this story, I probably would have done what that mom was originally going to do. It is so hard because we tell ourselves, oh, we're helping, we're teaching, we're showing him a different way. We love teaching. Parents love teaching. It's not necessary and it's actually not beneficial in this instance. So day two, he does the exact same thing and she watches him and she thinks, okay, huh, but doesn't say anything. Day three... He gets ready to walk back and forth. He takes one plate over, comes back to grab the second plate, takes the second plate over. As he's walking back to the cabinet, he stops and she starts to see him count on his hand. And then he walks over to the cabinet and he takes the rest of the dishes out that he needs and he takes the whole stack over to the table. Then he walks over to the utensil drawer and he counts out how many people need forks. He grabs those forks and he walks them over, takes over the whole stack of napkins and he divvies them all up at the table. And then he takes out a tray and he puts all the glasses on the tray. So in a matter of doing it three times, he completely figured out on his own that there's a different way to get to what I'm trying to do in a more efficient way. She allowed him that process. Now here is the best part. When we don't get in the way and teach everything to death and explain everything to death and correct everything that we possibly can. And we just give our kids the space to really work through a process. That ability to problem solve, that muscle gets stronger and stronger every time. And then that generalizes to other areas of their lives. So they're in school, they're working on a problem or they're doing something. All of a sudden, an idea comes to mind that, hey, I could actually go about this in a different way. Why? Because they've been given the space to do this. They've been given the space to think freely on what are some other ways I could find solutions to this problem. When we constantly hand them the answer and we don't give them that process to work, through it, we rob them of the opportunity to be great critical thinkers, problem solvers, original thinkers, imaginative, right? So many wonderful things. So catch yourself whenever you're getting ready to quote unquote teach, you don't need to do it nine out of 10 times. Give them the space to figure it out. And last but not least, I would never parent from a rigid place. This is really tough, but if there's anything that I know about parenting, it's this, is that 
whatever you think it's supposed to look like, whatever you think your child's going to do, whatever you think is supposed to happen, just throw it out the window and be prepared for the ride of your life, right? Our kids come to us in their own unique way and they challenge us and they enlighten us and they do so many wonderful things. The minute we grab on too tight, the minute we stay too rigid and we hold on to one idea of what's supposed to happen and what should happen and what has to happen, we miss the good stuff. Stay flexible, stay fluid as a parent. Parenting in general, and I say this as somebody who has a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, it is a lot of transient phases, short-lived phases that come and go and change and evolve. And it's a ride, right? So like whatever you're going through right now that might feel so hard and arduous, I promise you a year from now, it's going to look very different. And a year after that, it's going to look very different. And two years and five years and 10 years after that, it's going to look very different. Stay fluid it, stay flexible, and just know that there's always good things going on. There are always beautiful moments to be celebrating. When we stay too rigid, we can get stuck. We can get sort of disappointed. We start to judge ourselves and others. And it's because you're just holding on too tight to one way. And there's never one way to parent. I have two kids. I kind of parent them differently in all honesty because they need different things. My husband would say the exact same thing because we see it. We see that their needs are different. So just kind of stay open and enjoy the ride. You know, it's a blessing and there are so many great things to take away from it. And whenever we stay rigid in life, I always feel like we miss a little bit of the good stuff and you don't want to do that. It's too important and it's just too fun and it's too short, quite honestly. So enjoy. So that is my article for Metro Parent. If again, if you want to read that, you can go into the show notes. I'll link it there and or you can purchase a copy of Metro Parent for their November and December issue. If you have any questions, as usual, feel free to reach out. You can find me on Instagram and on TikTok or you can email me at lbona at the Parenting Reframe. Just so you know, we have open enrollment right now for the group program starting in January, the Parenting Reset. It's a six-week program helping you learn to connect more by doing less. I promise you often that is the answer. How do you simplify this process so that you can be the parent your child needs and the parent you need yourself to be. Hey everyone, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening right now. And what really makes my day is if you share or recommend the podcast to a friend. It is the greatest compliment. If you have not already, head on over to theparentingreframe.com where you can subscribe to get my weekly newsletter, Parenting Skimmed. 10 sentences delivered to your inbox every Thursday to help you parent and live a better life. It's for the parent who constantly told me, I just don't have time to read. Make sure to come and say hi to me on Instagram at theparentingreframe. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from you. Until next time, this is Albiona. Biona.